0: Why don't we stand to our feet this morning? We're gonna do things a little bit differently this morning. You're gonna notice the worship team's a little stripped back and we just wanted to just come and have an intimate time of just singing and praising together this morning. So I hope uh, you will join in with us as we sing together this morning. We're gonna start off singing in Christ alone. He's who all of our hope is found in this morning. Let's sing out together.
1: In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my life, my strength, my soul. This cornerstone, this song This is child in store.
0: Church, I'm so excited about the new series that we are starting today. We're starting a series called God's House. And uh, this is a series where we're gonna be walking around, walking through uh, two Old Testament books, Haggai and then Leviticus later on in the summer. And I just believe that this is gonna be a, a really special season uh, for the church. And these are two books that call us back to realign our priorities. And as I just look around the world around us and even in my own life, man, sometimes our priorities can get off and it becomes pretty evident. And one of the, I'm gonna be honest with you for a second, as your worship leader, one of the things that I've been convicted about a lot lately is, man, I just get really fired up to sing songs like Raise a Hallelujah, to sing songs about breakthrough and to sing songs about victory. But sometimes I get a little bit less fired up to just come and sing songs about the greatness of God and I think that's probably true in, in church culture as a whole we want the breakthrough we want the healing we want the hope more than we want the one who can provide the breakthrough more than we want the one who can provide the healing more than we want the actual we want the saving more than we want the Savior and I feel like Maybe the Lord wants to speak that into our lives this morning that we need to prioritize things. I've got a new hunger and a new thirst just for God to spend time in his presence. And I believe when we come into Jesus's presence, all of those other things that we long for will be found because Jesus is all of those things. And so my prayer for us as a church and in what our worship team has talked about this week leading up, what are we believing in God for? And I'm just believing in God for that, that He would give us a hunger and a thirst for more of His presence, for more of His presence. I see anxiety and depression and addiction and all of these things running wild. And I think it's because we've gotten our priorities off. We're looking for things to fill a void that was truly only meant for Jesus to fill. And so that would be my hope this morning that we would just come hungry, for the Lord. Our prayer, need our prayer volunteers are gonna come forward during this worship set and, and maybe you found your way into this place and, and your priorities might be a little off and life seems a little unbalanced because of that. We wanna offer an opportunity for you to come and to pray, to spend time asking God to rearrange your heart, rearrange the affections of your heart this morning or maybe you're just here and life is great. Life doesn't have to be falling apart in order for you to be prayed for. And so we wanna offer up that opportunity for you as well this morning. And so during this worship set, let's just turn our eyes towards Jesus. Let's press into him. Let's give him glory. Let's give him praise. He's worthy this morning. Does anybody believe that, that he's worthy? Father, we come right now in this moment Help us to remove every distraction from our heart. Lord, I pray personally for myself. Lord, that you would rearrange the affections of my heart. Lord, that you would be first and foremost. And Lord, I pray that for our church, that our hunger for you would be more than our hunger for our way our hunger for our wants, any of those worldly things, Lord, that you would be first. Lord, meet us in this place. Breakthrough is not a bad thing. Longing for healing is not a bad thing, but all of those are secondary to you. you are healer, you are a way maker, you are savior. You are the prince of peace. You are the author of salvation. You are where our hope is found, but it's found in you. And so come meet us now in the stillness of this moment. Give us a hunger and a thirst for more of you, more of you, more of you. Will shout his praise Let it start with us Can we just sing, we cry holy, holy one more time in this place? Father, we just come and celebrate you this morning. We come and we cry, holy, holy, holy is the Lamb who was slain, so that the sins of the world might be forgiven. But not only were you the holy sacrifice for us, you are the victorious Savior, the victorious King who now sits at the right hand of God the Father, who reigns sovereign, who is victorious in all things. You are our holy Righteous and sovereign King, who is worthy of all glory and all the honor and all of the praise, and so with all we are, with all we have, we praise you. We give you glory. We give you honor, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, "Amen." Can we just praise God one more time in this place? Amen. Church, you may be seated and turn your attention to the screens.
2: Good morning, Fraser, and thank you for joining us today, whether here in person or online. Summer is right around the corner, and so many activities will be underway at Fraser for the whole family, from camps to concerts. We want you to jump in with us, so be sure to pick up a Summer at Fraser flyer before you leave. You've already heard today how, starting today, Pastor Chris will be inviting us into a summer sermon series on God's house, camping out in the Old Testament to explore the theme of the temple and learn what it really means that God desires to dwell with us. As a companion to the summer sermon series, Pastor Ken will lead an eight-week Wednesday night Bible study called The Seven Houses of God, starting on June 8th at 6 p.m. in room 3105, as well as on Zoom. We'll trace even more imagery related to the temple through the whole story of Scripture to see how the whole Bible fits together. Sign up in the Fraser app. Fraser moms and dads, do you have a plan to intentionally raise your sons and daughters? Do you want to clarify your biblical role as parents and develop a practical plan to put your values into action? Sign up today for our Parenting with a Plan seminar for our Fraser family on Saturday morning, June 4th in Wesley Hall. Featuring speakers Josh and Jennifer Mulville hill Nursery is available for little ones and our children's ministry has planned a morning of fun to launch the summer. So infants through fifth grade will have a great time while parents learn together. Sign up for the June 4th seminar as well as our related seminar for grandparents on June 3rd in the Frasier app. Are you interested in becoming a member of Fraser? Join us for a new member orientation on June 5th at 945 in the chapel. You can let us know you're coming by filling out the connection card in the pew in front of you. Mark that you're interested in membership and drop it in the collection boxes on your way out. We want to say thank you for your faithfulness in giving as God has blessed you. Your generosity fuels our mission and transforms lives here in Montgomery and around the world. You may give in the boxes located at the back of the worship center through our app, our website, or by texting the number you see on the screen. God bless you now as we continue in worship.
3: Good morning. I want to say hello to everybody who's watching on television, online, or listening by podcast, or one of the many outlets we have. For those of you in the room, would you please give our online television audience a big hand? (laughs) We spent the school year, 2021-2022, focusing on, emphasizing, highlighting the mission that God is on in the world, all around us, and all over the globe, and that we get to partner with him on the flags that are on the stage represent the different countries that we are involved in through our mission partners around the world and for us they serve as a reminder to remind us to pray for what God is doing in these countries through our partners and so you're going to see these up here throughout the summer also as we're looking at the theme of the temple uh, remember the temple and the people of Israel they were meant to be a light to the nations God's heart has always been for the nations and He calls His church now to go to all nations. That is uh, the great commission that we all have been given. And so throughout this summer series, um, these flags are going to serve as a reminder to us to pray for our partners around the world. Today we do begin a new sermon series as you've heard entitled God's House where we're looking at the book of Haggai in the Old Testament. And uh, also will be in the book of Leviticus in just a few weeks. And you may say, why are we doing this series? That's a really good question. Both of these books teach us about how to be faithful to God and how to be faithful to his house. And both books point us to Jesus And so as we go throughout these weeks, throughout the the summer, hopefully not only are we going to learn a lot of things about the context of this throughout the Old Testament, but we're going to see Jesus each and every week as well. So if you have a Bible, please open up to Haggai chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 1, and we're going to walk through 1 through 15 today. And so if you don't know where that is, go to Matthew, go back three books, and you're there, okay? So it's toward the end of the Old Testament If you don't have a Bible or you don't know how to spell Haggai, like looking it up on your phone, the words will appear on the screen. (laughs) So let's start with uh, chapter 1, verse 1, and then I want to give us the context of where we are in history. So it says in Haggai chapter 1, verse 1, in the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, just so you know, in our calendar, that's August 29th. The word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai, the prophet prophet to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, the governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Now, where we are right here in verse 1, let me give you broader context. If you back out from where we are in Haggai, and you look at the Bible as a whole, you can break it down into seven different eras or time periods. So it starts with creation. Then you have the time of the patriarchs. Then Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Then you have time of Moses. Then you have the time of Israel and the kings, and they go off into exile. And then you have the time after exile. That's where we are in Haggai. Then you have the time of Jesus and his earthly ministry, his incarnation. And then you have the time of the church or the era of the church. So creation, patriarchs, Moses, Israel, after exile, which is where we are, Jesus, and then the church. And so where we find ourselves is in that period after exile. A remnant of Israelites are back in the promised land after 70 years in captivity in Babylon. So the 70 years in captivity happened from around 608 to 538 B.C., B.C., before Christ. The name Haggai, this person that we're talking about, Haggai, his name means feast or festival or holiday or holy assembly or sacred assembly. It it means a celebration. And God chose a man whose name means feast or festival to talk about this particular message about God and his temple. And Haggai is known as the prophet of the temple. And the reason why is that his message is about the people's relationship with God and relationship to God in worship. And so Haggai delivers these four messages in four months from the end of August to December. And so what we see in this little snapshot of what we're going to see in these two chapters in the book of Haggai will be four messages from Haggai over four months to the people. Now, one of the things I want you to know about Haggai is that Haggai was born... During the 70 years of captivity in Babylon, which means he was born in one of the lowest points in Israel's history. You know, we look around and we look throughout human history and we ask questions sometimes like, how was I born at this particular time or not that particular time or whatever it may be. You need to understand, when Haggai is born, it is the lowest of the low for the people of Israel. Just as Adam and Eve had sinned and were sent into exile or exiled out of the garden, so the people of Israel have sinned once again and they've been exiled from the promised land. But God gave them a promise. And that promise was that he would bring them back after 70 years of exile. Most of us know Jeremiah 29.11, right? For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Pray, plans to prosper you. You know, we, we know that when we put that one on t-shirts and, and on coffee cups and those kind of things. Well, Jeremiah 29.10 is very important in setting the context for Jeremiah 29.11 and for us to understand the book of Haggai. Jeremiah twenty nine ten is where the Lord tells them that after 70 years, after 70 years be accomplished in Babylon, I will visit you and cause you to return home back to the place in Jerusalem where God has them. And so Jeremiah twenty nine ten tells us, God is telling the people, you are going to be in captivity for 70 years, but I have plans for you. And they're good plans, plans to prosper you. And so that is the context of what's going on in Haggai right here. Haggai is the colleague of Zechariah, the prophet Zechariah. If you go one book over, you see Zechariah's book. It's right after Haggai. We see that from Ezra chapter 5 verse 1, Ezra chapter 6 verse 4, which is also Ezra's explaining the events that are happening around this time period. Haggai returned with a guy named Zerubbabel Now Zerubbabel is important because he is the grandson of King Jehoiakim in Judah And we see that in 1 Chronicles 3.17 He's a descendant of David And he serves as the governor of Jerusalem Of the people that come back after the exile interesting enough too he is an ancestor of jesus and we see his name mentioned in matthew chapter 1 verses 12 through 13 or luke 3 27 in both of those genealogies and so as the comes back haggai comes with him and he is the governor over the people at the point when god is speaking through haggai to the people now the book that we are looking at was written in 520 bc Now, just so you know, kind of what else is going on around 520, if you go to 530 BC, you have like Leonidas I, the king of Sparta, is born. You go to 527 BC, the kingdom of Mercia, uh, what we know now in large part is Great Britain, was founded in 520 BC. If you look at, if you want to compare it with both sides of history, we're in 520 BC. It's not till 570 AD when the prophet Muhammad was born in Islam subsequently was started so we're in 520 BC in this letter and Haggai is a part of the remnant the remnant was the small group of Jews who returned to Jerusalem after the Babylonian exile we see them return in 538 about 50,000 Jews return to Jerusalem in 537 they build an altar and offer sacrifices in 536 they start working on the temple and then building the temple rebuilding the temple stops And the question is, why? Everything was moving along. God had set them free from Babylonian captivity. A remnant, about 50,000 of them, have come back to Jerusalem. Everything's moving along, and they're rebuilding the temple. They start rebuilding, and all of a sudden, it comes to a halt. The answer to the reason why it stopped, for lack of a better term, is it stopped because of selfishness. What happened... Was that the remnant were selfish and they began to focus on building their lives and their houses instead of God's house. The temple is still in ruins in 520. It is neglected. We see that in verse 4 here in just a moment. And as a result, no worship is taking place. And what the people are saying is this they're saying this. They're saying, you know, life's been tough, you know, life's been hard. And I, we just need some time to work on ourselves. We just need some time to get some things in order, and, and then we'll be about the business of rebuilding the temple and do the God thing. As a result, they neglected God, neglected his commands, and neglected his house, which is always, always the result when we try to work on ourselves and fix ourselves without God, as a part of the equation, always. Over 10 years ago, there was someone who called the office and they wanted to have an appointment with me. I said, sure. They came in. They said, Pastor, I just need you to know I'm going to take a sabbatical. I said, great. Good for you. I believe in sabbaticals. I would like one myself. That's wonderful. And I said, what do you do? I'm sorry. What do you do for a living? Oh, well, I'm a stay-at-home mom and I just kind of work with a family business thing. And I said, okay, so what are you taking the sabbatical from? They said, oh church I said oh a sabbatical from church good for you good for you really tell me how that works out for you you know I don't know if that lady's faith ever recovered after that sabbatical I could tell you crazy stories about she took a sabbatical from church and she wanted to work on herself and find herself and fix herself and I don't think her faith ever recovered at all nor her life That's exactly what the people of Israel are doing right here. They're trying to work on themselves and build their lives without God as a part of the equation. And so we pick up the story in verse 2. So we see the characters of verse 1 who are part of this story. And then in verse 2 it says, thus says the Lord of hosts, these people, so he's quoting what the people are saying, these people say the time, time, has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. So God is hearing them say that, well, it's just not time yet for us to rebuild the house. And what God is doing here is he's questioning actually the timing of the remnant's faithfulness. He's questioning the timing of their faithfulness. Because of their selfishness, they are delaying obedience. And delayed obedience is always disobedience. Every single time. And basically what they have is they have an excuse. They just say, yes, we want to do that. We want to be about the things of God. We want to be about worshiping God, but it's just not the right time. How many times do we say that? How many times do we know what it is that God wants us to do? How many times do we know what it is that God wants us to stand up for? How many times do we know what it is that God wants us to say or speak up for, and yet we just say, well, let me just wait for a better time? So he hears what they're saying. He hears the conversation. He hears their rhetoric in this moment. Verse 3 says, Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? He has this question here. Is it just time for you to focus on... What you want to focus on, what God does here is he challenges the remnant on how they're actually spending their time. He says, you say that you don't have time to rebuild God's house. You don't have time to invest in God's house, but, but you spend all of your time on and in your house. And he calls them paneled houses, which to me uh, tells us that these are expensive. It takes time to build this kind of house in the first century, in- or not in the first century, in their time. And what God is saying is you're busy building your lives, but you're busy building your lives devoid of me and devoid of worship to me. You see, this, these words here, they were written five, or 2,542 years ago, and they still apply to us today. Because so many times we do the same thing, don't we? So many times we do the same thing. And we find ourselves in those moments where God is questioning the timing of our faithfulness, and God has to challenge us on how we are actually spending our time. And so I love what God calls for in verse 5. In verse 5, it says, Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Consider your ways. And what God says right there, He says, Let's call a timeout. Let's slow down and think for a moment. Let's slow down and think about reality for just a moment. In this moment, God says, let's slow down and think about what you are actually doing with your time. What God is calling for here is an honest assessment of what is taking place in their lives. And he's wanting them to think about what is it that you're actually striving for in life. And then, a part of that, God through Haggai defines their reality for them. We see it in verse 6. He says, You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. Now you may think those are just random statements they're not they're actually a, a part of the list of covenant curses that we see back in Deuteronomy where God says if my people will not live in covenant with me here is going to be the result here is what is going to happen and right here we say we see God saying to the people slow down think about reality for a moment and look at the consequences of your delayed unfaith or your delayed faithfulness or your disobedience look at the consequences about what is taking place in your life. What God is telling the people is that sometimes, sometimes fruitlessness in life is a result of faithlessness in life, in business, internally, externally, and even when it comes to money, because that's what he talks about in verse 6. He says, you've sown much and you've harvested little. That was the business of the day. He says, you eat and you never have enough. You drink and you never have your fill. Those are internal needs and appetites. He says, you clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. Those are external needs and appetites. And then he says, and he who earns wages, that's money, does so to put them in a bag with holes. It doesn't last. And you're always looking for more, he says. And God is getting their attention in this moment, wanting them to slow down and think about how they're actually living life and seeing if this is actually working for them. And what God is telling them that is that it is my hand, not your work, that blesses you. My hand, not your work. So we pick it up in verse 7 and he says this, Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. He repeats himself. And this time he wants them to think about what they should do now, what they should do next. He says in verse 8, go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house. Build the house. Do what it is I've told you to do. I already told you to do this. Build the house. But why? Why does he want them to build the house so bad? Notice what it says in verse 8. Go up the hills and bring wood. And build the house that, so that I may take pleasure in it, and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. He says, you look for much, and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, it blew away. Why? Declares the Lord of hosts, because of my house that lies in ruins, while each of you busies himself with his own house. What God says right here, he says, look at your priorities. Look at your priorities. And what he says in verse 8, he says, I want you to build the house so that I may take pleasure in it and so that I may be glorified. You say, what does that mean? You see, God's greatest pleasure is to dwell among his people, that his presence be with his people and that us with him. Remember Egypt. Remember the covenant that was made. God sent word to Pharaoh, let my people go. Why did he want them to let go? So that they may go out and worship him and be in his presence. That's what God takes pleasure in. And then not only that, when that is taking place, when we are with God, dwelling with God, in those moments, that's when God is most glorified in us to the nations around us. And he says, I want this to take place, that I may take pleasure in dwelling with you, that I may be glorified through you. And then he tells them, listen, the problem here, Is it my house lies in ruins and you've been busy? You've been busy building your own life without me. So he picks it up in verse 10. He says, therefore, therefore, the heavens above you have withheld the dew and the earth has withheld its produce. And I have called for a drought on the land and on the hills, on the grain, the new wine, the oil, and on the ground, what the ground brings forth on man and beast and all their labors. This is Echoes of Genesis 1, where we see God tell Adam and Eve to be stewards over all creation. But here's the thing. We cannot steward creation separate from the Creator. We cannot steward creation separate from the one who owns creation. And we must remember that. That's exactly what the people have tried to do here. They tried to steward creation and build their lives, but do it without God being a part of the equation And so God says, I've removed my hand of favor because I want your heart. I've removed my hand of favor because I want your heart. The blessing of the return from exile has distracted them from the blesser, the one who made it possible. And this is where they find themselves. They're making excuses, timing's not right. You know, we need to work on ourselves, and now God has spoken to them, and the question is, what do they do? What they do, we see in verse 12. In verse 12, it says, Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehoshaddak, the high priest, and all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God, and the words of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent them, and... The people feared the Lord. The people's response in this moment is obedience and fear. Now, you're probably sitting there thinking, Chris, I don't like those words. <laughs> obedience and fear, that just sounds so heavy. Well, of course it does to our Western minds, absolutely. But you got to understand this in the context of covenant. Obedience here is not some heavy-handed demand It is what sets us free to live a life in God's blessing. It is that kind of obedience where we say we want to obey. We want to follow him. It's yes, God, I will do. And I do that because I fear you. Again, that word fear carries a negative connotation in our culture. Meaning the people in this moment, because God has now spoken, they're standing in awe and wonder of who this God is. And in this moment, they're reminded that God is actually greater than me. He's actually more mighty than me. He's actually bigger than me. He actually created me. So, this is the appropriate response in this moment that they come in obedience because of their awe and wonder. They stand in fear of who this God is. This is what is called repentance. Repentance. And because of the repentance in verse 12, notice what happens in verse 13. Verse 13, it says, Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message. And here's the Lord's message I am with you, declares the Lord. I am with you. The repentance of verse 12 leads to the restoration of verse 13. And the restoration of verse 13, where, this is where God is speaking through Haggai to the people, and he says, I'm with you again. Now we have come back into covenant alignment and we have agreement on who I am as God, who you are as my people, and the relationship that we have together. Again, the repentance of verse 12 leads to the restoration of verse 13. And then in verse 14, we see these words, and the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel. Notice that, stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, the governor of Judah, and the spirit of of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and they worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God. Because of this repentance and because of this restoration, the people are once again stirred up to live in covenant faithfulness to God. Once again, in this moment. You see so many, you, you see what's happening here. God speaks to them, and they respond to the word they hear. Then they are stirred up. So many times, we we want God to do something emotionally for us and stir us up emotionally. We don't want to talk about obedience. We don't want to talk about fear and awe and wonder. No, no, we just want God to make me feel good on the inside, and then I'll act in some way. Notice they were not stirred up by the Spirit until they repented and restored, came back into restoration with the covenant with God. I say that because some of you are wondering why you don't feel your faith enough. I promise you, if you step out in obedience and you live in reverence and awe for this wonderful God, I promise you, your motions will follow. They were stirred up in powerful, powerful ways in this moment in verse 15. This happened on the 24th day of the month in the 6th month in the 2nd year of Darius the king. Notice it started on August 29th. It ends on September 21st. That's 24 days. The number 24 is very important throughout Scripture. You see it pretty much from beginning to end all the way to the book of Revelation. 24 days here in this moment of repentance and restoration and being stirred up, which is called revival, by the way. Being stirred up. The the number 24, we see it over and over throughout Scripture as it pertains to the worship in the temple, in particular the priesthood. It was David who divided the musicians into 24 courses. We see that in 1 Chronicles 23 and 24. The number of 24 again appears throughout Scripture and has great significance. If you look at Psalm 72, if you want to do a side study, Psalm 72 lists the 24 things that Christ will do when he sits on his throne at the end of time, just for your own study. Well, what we see here is God challenging the people in some amazing ways, but bringing them back. They come back and respond and get back into alignment with who God is and what it is that he has called them to do. And so I just want to give you a few takeaways here. Verses 5 and verse 7 says the phrase, consider your ways. And I think we should consider our ways. And I think there are three things I want to put before you to consider. Number one is simply this. We must think about how we spend our time. We must think about how we spend our time. If you like to take notes, that's point number one in the bulletin. Everything I've said up until this point was introduction. <laughs> You're welcome. We must think about how we spend our time. What do we think about? It's what the Bible calls, what do we dwell on? What, what is it that we do? It's what the Bible calls, what do we invest in in life? Think the parable of the talents that Jesus spoke. But, but how do we spend our time, especially going into the summer? This is a time, you know, we're just kind of like, man, we need some vacation, you know, all that stuff. But how do we spend our time? Question number two is we must think about what we live for. What do we actually live for? What are the things that matter the most to us? Put them in the category of verse 8 of Haggai chapter 1. Do we want my pleasure and my glory, or do I want God's pleasure and God's glory? Am I just trying to build my house, build my life? Or am I investing myself in building God's house, that he may have pleasure in dwelling among his people and be glorified in the nations? Or do I just want to build mine, my house, my life, my career? What am I living for? Only you can answer that. Question number three. So we must think about who we live for. And this really gets at the heart of Haggai chapter 1 and the challenge that we still have 2,542 years later. The question we must ask ourselves is, am I really living for God? Am I really living for God? Or do I just want God to bless my living? Am I really living for God, or do I just want God to bless my living? And in the process, we don't want God to ask too much of us. God, don't call me to prayer. God, don't call me to action. God, don't call me to faithfulness. Don't call me to obedience. Those are just big, heavy words. I'm not sure I like those words. Just bless my life. So many times that's functionally how we live, is it not? (laughs) You can act holy all you want to. So many times that's how we live, and we have to be honest about that. We have to come to that place where Israel came here in this moment. I said, no, I, we see God for who he is, how great and mighty he is, that he is the creator, and so I must bring my life back into alignment with him. And when that happens, it changes everything, everything. And we find ourselves truly living for him, no matter the requirements that he places on us. And the truth is, because he created us, because he redeemed us, because he saved us, he can ask anything of us. Amen. One of the the ways you can ask this question is, who is Jesus for you right now? Is he really Lord of your life? Is Jesus Lord of your mind and what you think about, how you think about God, how you think about other people? Is Jesus Lord of your mouth, what you say about God, what you say about other people, what even you say about yourself? Is Jesus Lord of your actions, how you treat people? In His name, is Jesus Lord of your gifts and talents? Are you serving in His house? Is Jesus really Lord? You know, Thursday is May 26th, and it is a very important day in our Christian calendar because that means, that marks 40 days from Easter Sunday. And if you look in the biblical timeline, 40 days after Jesus' resurrection was the day of Ascension, right? And on the Day of Ascension, the Day of Ascension reminds us of two things. Number one, it tells us where Jesus is. He's at the right hand of the Father. Number two, it tells us who Jesus is. And he is Lord, ruling and reigning over all. And the question that you and I have to wrestle with is, is he really ruling and reigning over my life? Is he really? And that's the question I leave you with. Because I think in its end, that is the question of Haggai chapter 1. Is Jesus really Lord? See, he's already saved them from captivity, just as he saved us from our sins. But in this moment, he's not Lord, ruling and reigning over them until the end. And my question for you is, is he Lord of your life as well? So, Father, would you help us wrestle with that question? As we come to this moment, may we do what you call us to in verse 5 and verse 7. May we consider our ways and Lord may we do so with complete honesty by the power of your Holy Spirit we even ask that the Holy Spirit would help show us us that we may not deceive ourselves into thinking that we're giving our lives to building God's house when truly we're not so Lord would you help us in this moment be honest with you would you help us
1: to oh. oh. Salvation, you chased down my heart through all of my failure and pride. And on a hill, you created the light of the world, abandoned in darkness to die.
0: Come on, this is the best part right here, church.
1: And as you speak And a hundred billion failures disappear Where you lost your life So I could find it here Come on If you left the grave behind you So will I I can see If you gave your life to love them so alive Like you would again a hundred billion times But what measure could amount to your desire You're the one who never leaves the one
0: Church.
4: Amen. I think we've all been challenged today from God's word to focus on our lives to consider our ways. But I also love the promise there at the end as the people responded to God. It said that He said to them, I am with you. And to see the desire of God. heart of this to be with you and so i would challenge you today to take the next step that god is leading you into if you're someone who's already following jesus as savior to truly honor him as lord in your life but if you're someone today who's never accepted christ as savior you've never begun that journey and especially if your mindset has been well i'll do that one day I'll do that when I'm older. Right now I'm going to focus on myself, my career, my family, whatever. This is the day that God is speaking. And I want to encourage you to respond to him today because he wants to be with you. And he's drawing you to him. And you can respond to him with a prayer something like this. Heavenly Father, thank you for creating me and that you desire of all the billions of things you created, that you desire to be with me. To actually have me dwell together in a house with you and so I just confess now that I'm a sinner I've gone my own way I've done done my own thing I've tried to just build my own life apart from you and it's not working out but thank you that you sent your son Jesus to die on a cross to forgive me of all my sin and thank you that you raised him up from the dead on the third day so I could have a new life now and live with you in your house forever and so, Lord Jesus, I confess you now as my Lord and Savior and I invite you into my life. May your Holy Spirit give me the power to follow you and be with you all the days of my life. I ask in Jesus' name, amen. If that's you today, I'd love to talk with you after a service or come talk to one of our prayer volunteers that are over by the stained glass windows or respond using the number that's on the screen if you're watching from home. But now let's receive a blessing because this house of God is where we are together, but it's also our calling to go build the house of God in the world by sharing the love of Christ with others. And so may God's face shine on you. May you know his blessing. May you know that he is with you and that he is for you. And may you go out of this place so focused on him and his glory that you share his love and his light with everyone that you come in contact with. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And all God's people said, Amen. Go in peace.